Good day, everybody. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. My name is Mitchell Jolly, and you are? Keith Thompson. Justin Owens. Hey, we're glad you guys have joined us for Theology in the Dirt. Our aim is to practice our theology at our homes and in our homes of public city and our homes and in the public square of our city and our world. Yeah, I got it, it, baby. Yes, there you go. And so we appreciate you guys entering the dialogue with us. If you have questions, you can email them to us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We're glad to address them. We've got a question that we'll address uh, coming up uh, next week. Uh, and so we're excited about answering your questions. We want to continue our little short three Trinitarian series on dating. And so we've talked about how it's connected to marriage. We've talked about some how-tos. And, man, we left a lot of meat on the bones. Yeah. So, again, if you want to ask us some specific questions, we'll do a whole podcast on specific questions. Send them to us there at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. But this episode, we want to focus on dating, marriage, as a social justice issue. Keith, what do you mean, what do we mean when we talk about this as a social justice issue? So I think that we should sort of talk through social justice a little bit, and that, that can mean so many different things. And, and what's, what we hear, just um, the church is definitely, we're commanded by God to be involved in, in justice. Social justice certainly would fall into that. And so by justice, we just mean, or I mean when I think justice, I, I want to think biblically on this. One of the things that, um, that, that I looked at when I was thinking through this, uh, in Isaiah 1, verse 17, it says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. And if you look at the meaning of justice in that, in that sentence, there's a couple of different words that, that can be rendered as justice, but justice and righteousness are so, they're really, really closely linked, right? In fact, they're so closely linked that if you look at, um, if you look at Isaiah 16.5, Isaiah 16.5 says, then a throne, this is in the ESV version. Right. It says, then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Now, justice there is the exact same word we read in, in Isaiah 1. But then if you, if you read that where it says, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness, if you look at it in the CSB version, that it's switched. It says judging and pursuing what is right instead of justice, and then quick to execute justice, which in the other version says righteousness. So it's interchanging these words, justice and righteousness. And the only reason I bring all that up is to, is to help us understand that when we're talking about social justice, it can't be separated from social righteousness. And justice is a, is a word that comes out of, at least in, in, on the Hebrew side, it comes out of governance and, and justice in that sense. So um, justice is, when you think of justice, you think of the word that means to, to govern justly. If you do that, then you're doing justice. But all that's wrapped in with this notion of being righteous and doing righteousness. So there's this notion that to do justice, if we're going to be socially uh, aware of social justice in the church, which I think we absolutely are called to do that. It's one of our greatest callings. Then we're also aware of and mindful of social righteousness. What does it look like to be righteous as a society? So I think those two things are connected. Absolutely. And so if, if we... Um, 
as we address social justice as a church, we have to address the things that are leading to what we would kind of see as the, the, the ills of social injustice, things like poverty, um, things like inequality, and all those, all those things that, that we know are in our world everywhere we look. So when I think about dating, and if the church doesn't deal with it, like if we don't deal with dating and we don't talk about what it looks like to date well and what it looks like to lead up to finding marriage in a way that's godly and biblical, then I think it's one of the things that would lead to the greatest social injustice and lead to what we know as the ills of social injustice as poverty, poor socioeconomic status, and all manner of ill in the society. Yes. So if we, the, the, what I, what, all that to say, if we deal effectively with dating, if the church could get dating right, we would remedy much of what we find that we feel like is a result of social um, lack of social justice yeah. or social injustice. The, the myriad of issues that come out of not doing that right, whether it be motherlessness, fatherlessness, which single-parent families, mm-hmm. which we're not saying is innately evil. God bless those single moms who are having to do this on their own. Through Absolutely. no fault of their own. They didn't ask for it. It got thrust upon them. Not their fault, right? But we also know that comes with various challenges, mm-hmm. right? And so you get this right, and, and it's true. We're, we're going to fix a lot of other things, in society that then bleeds down. And, and as you, and as you were saying that I I had in my mind how we teach this, everything flows out of Genesis. The very few first few chapters of Genesis provide the framework of what life's supposed to be like. God did the first wedding and he, he oversaw the union in that he brought her to the man. So there's a sense in which God was involved in bringing her to the man, and he put them together. And what God put together, let not man separate. And from there, it was to filter down. So God started there. And so if we're going to be Christians and we're going to say our practices are rooted in the nature of God, and and here's where I'm going with that, that's a justice issue. Justice isn't defined by cultural norms. Justice is not a... Culture doesn't get to decide what justice is or righteousness is. That's rooted in the nature of God. Mm-hmm. And God defined that when he said one man, one woman, together for life that he put together. And so if we're going to say justice and righteousness, it's rooted in the nature of God. And he started with a family. And we have an enemy. We, we, we're, we're of the Christianity type to where we believe the devil's real mm-hmm. and that he seeks to devour us. And he's, he's out there trying to wreck the institutions that God gave us to lead to flourishing, right? So... If you had, if as a, if you take sort of the the C.S. Lewis take and the screw take, where you got a demon who's trying to sidetrack this whole thing, right? What's the one thing you could do, or what's a thing that would have a massive impact and create lots of injustice and creates a, create a lot of inequality and create a lot of um, of uh, just disaster and destruction? Well, let's do something to really, really destroy marriage. And one of the things, one of the ways you destroy marriage is you, is you destroy the, the way you get to marriage. Hmm. So I think if, if you can destroy dating and you make dating a, a dysfunctional part of society, if you get people to begin dating in ways that are dysfunctional, it's going to be a beautiful way. Hmm. If you're the devil, right. it's going to be a beautiful way to wreak havoc and chaos in the society. Right. Hmm. And you're, what you're going to find there is lots of injustice. Hmm. Wow. Man. Can you imagine what we could have avoided if guys and gals had just been home with their spouse, watching TV show, eating a meal together, as opposed to out selling drugs to make money mm-hmm. or buying drugs to get a high or out 
bar hopping mm-hmm. to try to find the next piece, mm-hmm. right? Can you imagine like the, mm-hmm. the economic, social implications of not being united and not pursuing a right relationship just because that wasn't in place? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's innumerable. It's yeah. innumerable what we're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, what it, you see it in the, I'm going to call it an epidemic of pornography use. And even even secular mental health professionals now are saying like it, this is not a, a healthy good thing, mm. but that's spurred on with what we talked about in the past of serial dating and breakup get together awakening desires that you can't fulfill and just this whole thing, it all feeds on itself right like that's not the only thing that leads to pornography use but it contributes to that and that's demeaning to women it teaches you how to view women in a demeaning way and just. All of those things are wrapped up in a concept of holiness and righteousness and how we approach uh, dating and marriage. Right. I've seen uh, I've seen guys, and I'm thankful for Ray Ortland Jr., who says this on a regular basis, pornography is a social justice issue. He makes that, he says that probably once or twice a week mm-hmm. and with some something coming off of Pornhub, that, that there, there are socioeconomic implications of that um, that is a created industry from the breaking of this relationship from the beginning. Mm. So, Keith, I think you're you're right that rightness and justice is rooted in the nature of God, and coming out of that, it's creating a multitude of social justice issues yeah. mm-hmm. because it starts there. So, the Brookings Institute. I think a lot of folks have, have heard these statistics before, but the Brookings Institute did a, did this study and and sort of tried to capture what is it that that leads toward poverty and what is it that can help you. If you say, well, you know, what can I do to ensure that my kids or try to ensure that my kids don't end up in poverty? Well, there were three things. But one of those things was um, delay marriage until 21 was one of the things that they they said. And I think there are reasons why they found that to be true that I, I don't believe that would contradict what we said in this pre in the previous podcast. But de- delay marriage until 21 and do not have children until you're married. But that along with graduate from high school and have a full-time job, which again, the things that we talked about in the earlier podcast that, that are sort of, they're peripheral to dating, the education piece, the, the, the marriage piece, the sex outside of marriage piece. And then, uh, the, the piece about finding your career, finding your calling, your vocation and that kind of thing and leaning into that and being ready to do that before you have kids. If you do those three things, you have less than a 2% chance of finding yourself in poverty. Wow. Well, you know, what, what we're talking about, and I think if you, if you are in a society where it's okay and seen as a norm to begin at the age of even, I mean, parents taking their kids to, to meet with their girlfriends at the theater at 12 and 11 years old because they think it's cute that, you know, little Johnny's got a girlfriend right. and we're going to foster this at 12. But if, you know, to the point where you're at 14 and 15, these, these kids have, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, relationships where it's just you and the girl, you're not, you don't have other friends. There are things that right. are distinct to just us. Right. I don't, I don't do this with anybody except for you. Right. And you start doing this. Well, it's no surprise that by the time some of these kids are 17, 18, 19 year old, they have children. They're not married. Right. They really don't even have a significant relationship with, with the, the, the other parent or the other, you know, the one, the other person who's involved in this relationship. Right. And um, and so I think that dating wisely would remedy a lot of this. 
Mm. And so that's why for me, it felt so much like a social justice issue. Right. Because I, and because, and it feels the church is so hyper aware right now that we haven't been involved in social justice issues, which I think that's true. But yet there's absolute silence. It feels like, like, I can't remember the last time I heard a series on how to date properly. Mm. Um, there's a silence on this thing, which if you could get this right, if we could get marriage and family right, a lot of this stuff would sort of take care of itself. Mm-hmm. That's that's big. I, I think um, a lot of the challenges we see downstream um, when it comes to the issue of abortion, abortion on demand, uh, available contraception to prevent all of that that stuff is is a is a result of that license. That hey, let's get together, play this little dating game. How cute is that? And what we're not realizing is at every economic level, every social level, we're contributing to the problem downstream. And we think it's just cute. And 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 the social pressure to do it is pretty strong for mamas. Mm-hmm. It's almost just like this is accepted because this is cutesy and we take little pictures. And, and, and if you push back against that, you, you take some pretty strong heat. Yeah. Like, well, you're one of those weird people. I, I don't think I'm the weird one, man. I think your little nine-year-old kid sitting there playing dating is weird. Yeah, you're gonna mm-hmm. your, your son's gonna be the kid that's 18 and is socially awkward with girls because they never had a girlfriend. No. Right. Right. No. <laughs> it's not like they're not ever gonna interact yeah. with girls yeah. or they're never gonna interact with boys. Yeah. They're just gonna do it. They're gonna develop those skills. Yeah. Um, in like, a way that's healthy. Like your daughter raising her baby and having to take that child to class as a junior isn't awkward. Yeah. Right. Right. And like. Yeah. Come on, man. Like, really? Like, that. which one would you rather have? Like, trying to learn how to navigate relationships or having to put a diaper on my baby between science and, and math, right? But I mean, I th- that, that's a different animal, right? I think that reveals just the perverse nature of this, how it is just societally unjust, is we want to encourage all those things, you know, oh, yeah, go be together, whatever, explore, have fun, do whatever. Oh, but how dare you? Like, now you're the outcast because you got pregnant in high school. Like, well, it's because you fostered all these other things. And you said we're okay, but now you're now they're the outcast because right. the inevitable happened. And so... We're not even recognizing the connection between what we've fostered relationally. We now have a system that won't allow for the proper propagation of raising this child. So now yeah. you're the weird. We let you do this, but now you're the outcast. I'm going, well, no, if, if we're going to say this is okay, we didn't have some child care available at the high school yeah that's that's gonna happen yeah it, it probably is, is gonna I mean, happen it, like but it's consistent at least it's consistent i would we would say it's not a good idea yeah. but at but least, at least it it's consistent. consistent right we're gonna play this social emotional game with your heart and when you biologically give into it at least we're going to provide a way for you to continue your education so you can make sure you bypass the poverty that you're surely heading into mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and, and the child whose mom is 16 years old and she's trying to finish high school, doing the best she can. She made a mistake. You know, that we're supposed to, we, we, we come in and, and really provide all, all sorts of structures to help that family and help that, mm-hmm. that, that young girl and, and her child. But the truth is that that kid's at a deficit now. That kid is statistically in a situation where they've got an uphill battle. And there, there are things, but by God's wisdom, he designed the family to work a certain way so that we that know that. The child that's that's born inside of a family that is designed the way God designed it is the kid. Now he, this kid is 
it's coasting for them. They're in a situation now where they can thrive and flourish, and they they truly are in a situation where they've got an advantage over kids who who aren't in that in that shape. And one of the things that I think one of the the wrong headed ways to look at a lot of these things is you know it, it can feel like when you're talking about the the damage that single parenthood does in the life of a child. It's as if people want to sort of put you into a, a place where you're you're criticizing single moms. Right. No, that that that's yeah. That's logically doesn't flow. That is not what we're saying. No. We're saying that there's a way that's that's the that's the correct way. And you, you shouldn't because I know people who who didn't do it that way or who are struggling outside of that that um, sort of right way of doing things as a family. It doesn't mean I'm criticizing that that person. That is that is not the thing that you should take away from that. So I think it can feel bad to preach that because you know you're going to be preaching to people in your congregation who are single parents. Well, you don't want to make those folks feel bad. The message still has to be preached. Right. We still have to say from the from the from the pulpits that this is God's view of dating, this is God's view of, of marriage, and this is what's best. Yeah. And if you're not there, Thank God for grace and forgiveness and, and the, the, the power of God to come in and for the church that can come in and help you. And like the, the church is there for, to help people who weren't able to pull that off or made mistakes, just like the rest of us. Absolutely. I would even go so far as to say a good remedy for that social justice challenge would be for some of our single men to go marry some single mamas. Yeah. Like, like go and, and take that Ruth yeah. and bring her in under your roof and love her well, love that child well. And, and make that a complete home, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But even even the sub Christian subculture construct doesn't allow for that. It sees that as somehow less than, mm-hmm. and and shame on us for even propagating that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and and when you want to alleviate some social, that's an easy one to fix. Mm. It's a very easy one to fix, but it's it's got to come with a mindset shift mm-hmm. in the part of our men, uh, and even and even some of our our moms sure. who realize no, you know, I am worth. His attention, yep. my child's worth his attention, mm-hmm. and expecting that that should be a fix. Mm-hmm. You know, I love how Luther, uh, you know, that, that he was breaking out of the Roman Catholic Church and he was just pairing up nuns and and friars. You know, and it's like, hey, let's. And it wasn't like they didn't date, right? They didn't do nothing. He's just like you, 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 you. And there was one left, and he was left like, well, I guess you're mine. It was a little more complicated yeah. than that, and I'm making a little light of it, but but what a beautiful union, right? This is possible, right? And it's a it's not a hard thing to begin to address. It's just a mindset shift. Well, especially if you don't look at relationships from a like a what am I getting out of this right. mindset? It's just such we have such a twisted view of marriage that that um, you know that none of those hundred women would would fit what I need. Right, <laughs> right, and and you probably wouldn't fit any of those hundred for what they need <laughs> if that's the way you're looking at it. Right, but yeah, I mean, it's you get into a relationship to give, give, give. Yeah, and and it it'll be a mutual kind of thing. But when you when you're used to it being all about who is going to complete me, mm. you know, the things like what you're describing happened, right. you know, in in the fifteen mid fifteen hundreds. Right, sounds ridiculous. So that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're right. left. No, but what. No, it's not really. Yeah. If you've got a right view of marriage and, and how that relationship is supposed to it's work. It's actually a very holy thing. Yeah. This is very mm-hmm. good yeah. and, 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 and can fix and can fix a, a lot of problems. I think uh, we used to I used to speak out against uh, just a particular organization that would 
teach abstinence, but at the same time give condoms um, to moms. And, um, and, and, and I remember having the discussion um, with them that um, you're saying one thing that is best, but then you're turning around and assuming that they're going to do what's not best. And, and what you're doing is you're encouraging, whether you intend to or not, you're encouraging disobedience to the thing you say is best. And what you're doing is you're affecting their soul so that down the line it's going to be harder to actually fix this challenge uh, with a guy because it's like Jesus with a woman at the well. Go call your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. That's right. And the guy you're with isn't your husband and the five other guys, right? So, yeah, that's right. We have a challenge. And so by doing that, they were actually cutting their nose off despite their face, to use the old saying, and that this is an inappropriate behavior. And what it ultimately boils down to is it's a social justice issue because if justice, righteousness are cognates, mm-hmm. then then you need to point them to what's right because what's what we're doing in that instance is making it harder down the line to actually repair yeah. the economic and the social problem we've created by just assuming they can't control their biology. Yeah. Well, that's a bad assumption. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like saying God, God has designed you to function this way optimally, but we don't believe you can do that. Yeah. Mm. So here's we know, a we know, my conference. Yeah, we know here, right? you're not going to do that. So here. Right. This is what's best. You know, good luck. Right. But because we know probably you aren't here. here. No, you, this is what's God's best for you. Now go do it. Right. Go do it. Some of you are going to fail. Yeah. But, you know, our prayer and we our belief is that you don't have to. Yeah. Mm. Um, How about come to church with me, get involved in this fellowship. We'll hold you accountable. We'll love you. Yeah. We'll help you. We'll train you. We'll invest in you because you are that important, mm-hmm. and we'll help you find the man who will help become mm-hmm. uh, the one for you that that that's gonna is gonna bring this. That that's harder, right? But that that right. would be a social justice fix long term. I mean, I think at the end of the last podcast, I talked about priorities in relationships, and that being the Lord. And but Jesus even said, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then He'll take care of all these other things." I mean, if we if we taught people and expected people to actually fix their eyes first on his kingdom and his righteousness and his way of seeing what's right and what's wrong, and I think if we approached it that way rather than just, hey, don't do this, this is bad, we know you're going to fail, here's a safety net that might or might not work, it's a discipleship issue. What, what, what are we teaching? Are we teaching people to line their lives up with the kingdom? Um, or are we just going to kind of mm. keep going because the world around us is crazy uh, we're just going to teach our people to live in the craziness uh, and not really live counterculturally mm. um, and not good. expect to be able to do it. That's good. Because it can be done. Yeah, that's there, right. There are plenty of people that do it. Yeah, that's good. Hey, let's take a break and we'll come back and, and, and uh, continue our discussion on dating as a social justice issue. Okay, we're back. Keith, continue. Yeah. What do you got? Dating, like to, marriage, I would like to acknowledge issue. that we don't, we don't do a great job in this area. As, as the, the church, when I, when I say we, I mean, I mean the church. If you look at statistics, we, I, I don't want to make it sound like we're, all, we're doing awful, but if you look at statistics, Christian kids, are, they're about as involved in sexual activity outside of marriage as those who would claim no religious affiliation. And if, there's a, an organization called the Institute for Family Studies, and they've done a, um, this national survey for family growth, they looked at the, the sexual behavior 
of 15 to 22 year olds and they, they do segment it out 15 to 17 and then 18 to 22. So there's, there's lots of interesting statistics in there. But um, if, if you just look at kids and young adults who say they're Christian, there's about a seven, eight percent difference in sexual activity. You know, sexual intercourse is the thing we're, we're dealing with. So sexual activity between those two groups, the, the non-religious affiliated versus the, versus the religious affiliated, anything from, from Catholic to mainline Protestant um, or evangelical Protestant. So um, it's, it's statistically significant, but it's not great. You know, you're looking at the difference between 30% and 40% or at, at 18 to 22, the difference between 60% and 66% or something like that. But uh, one of the things that, and it, it gets back to the, impo- the importance of the church and the power of the accountability that we're talking to and how um, if you want your kids to date well, one of the best things you can do is get them into a Bible-believing church. One of the things that you can do that will help and make a difference because when you change a question from are you Christian to do you regularly attend weekly church services, well, now the numbers get better. So mm. it's it's almost a double doubling wow. effect. Wow! So it's twenty to forty percent in the in the fifteen to seventeen percent age group, or it's it's um, like you know fifty five to eighty percent between those who regularly attend church and those who don't. So if you look at the the, the people who are serious about their faith, they're committed to being in a fellowship. They're committed to being there, and and what I would argue is is if they're there more, they're also uh, enjoying the benefits of, of the fellowship and some accountability and that kind of thing and all that comes with being a part of a covenant fellowship, then you can actually pull this stuff off mm. in a way that's significantly better, and your kids can too. Mm. Um, and I, we can talk about why that's true, but um, it's, this, is a, this is a possible thing. This isn't something that, that's just imaginary, and, oh, yeah, it'd be great if that could happen. No, it, it happens in families that take their faith seriously, and they... now. I did say thirty percent are still doing it. Twenty percent right. are still doing it. So it's not like all these kids are going to be it's not you know, foolproof. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. Right. right. But if you're a parent and you're you're wanting this thing to work out, there are some things that you can do. And one is get your children and get mm. yourself in a church, covenant with a group of folks, and let your kids see that my parents aren't the only crazies in the world. Mm. And hey, this is there are actually some cool people here. Yeah, that's good, Justin. What are how, why? Why do you see, what are some thoughts that come to mind that that works out that way? Why is it that the great majority who get involved end up actually better off? What are some implications or what are some whys? I have some coming to mind and I'm, I'm dying to spew them off, but I'm like, let somebody <laughs> okay, go or so I'm going to preach. Some of the things that I see is that you got a community, right? You have relationships. You have um, a greater statistical likelihood of seeing marriage work out right. And so you see healthy homes, you see healthy marriages. You're the way we do small groups. You're in other people's homes. You're around other people's kids. You like my kids. They come up. They're seeing how the Hatches do life, and how the Smiths do life, and how the Thompsons do life, and how the Jollies do life, and just a, a variety of people that all do life consistent with what we say is best. And so it's not just well, Dad's crazy, and Dad thinks we ought to do it this way. It's a it's a communally reinforced. These are the um, proper ways to live where we live in line with God's word. And so I think the communal aspect of that is one of the biggest reasons you see um, 
those those better results, I guess, would be the way to say it. But I also think uh, who else is talking about it? We don't do a good job of talking about it, but you're a lot more likely to yeah. hear us, you know, somebody talk about it in the church than right not. So that's good. I, I, I'm a I'm a worldview hound. Like I can't help but think I think in meta narratives and. Um, I, I think what we see as a, as this is a social justice issue as a necessary downstream implication from a not Christian worldview. When you take, and I don't want to harp on biological evolution because frankly that is such a dead and bygone worldview as far as what's popular now that to continue to address it in a lot of our settings is almost uh, unnecessary in the sense of the predominant part of the world no longer um, actively. Um, subscribes to that, um, but the vestiges of it are still there. It's implied or it's assumed in a lot of ways. Uh, existentialism, transcendentalism, those kind of worldviews predominantly hold sway in our consciousness right now. But both of those worldviews, one of them says it's just a biological issue of you're an animal, you're just a highly evolved animal, and this is just what you do. The other one is about me. It's me-centered. It's my existence. It's what am I here for? Well, I'm here to fulfill me. My own personal self-actualization, whether it affects you or not, it's really not your business. It's my business, and I'm going to get what's mine. And both of those have massive downstream implications. And so why? Why does that work out? Because nobody on this earth uh, isn't created in the image of the Trinitarian mm-hmm. God. They were made for fellowship with each other and with the God who created them. And so when your worldview dictates you operate in isolation from a community on a just and right mission, it 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 stands to reason that there's going to be chaos downstream, which is why we see this as a social justice issue. But when you do this in fellowship, in Trinitarian fellowship, with rightness and justice as your aim, it is going to work out better a majority of the time because that's how God designed it to work. It's kind of like if I want to take a flathead screwdriver and use it as a chisel, I'm going to get hurt or I'm going to not do a good job. But if I take a chisel and use a chisel for chisel work, I'm going to get good results. Well, God made us to work a certain way, and when we use ourselves and each other, and I don't, I don't like the word use, when we operate the way God designed us to operate, it's going to work out predominantly in this fallen world for the better. When we don't, it's going to be chaos. When it's about me, myself, and I, or some survival of my kind, yeah, it's going to be chaos. If you look at what, I've got a 13-year-old at home, so I, I get my fill of Disney shows, whether it's, you know, what's it, the, I can't remember the name of the movie, it's the, it's the, Disney, it's the one that where they, they sing the whole time. Um, there's a bunch of them now. <laughs> yeah, but Frozen. Yeah, no. Nah, well, it's not uh, the high cartoons. School cartoons. High School Musical. That's oh, the one. oh, wow. But the, the, all all these shows. It doesn't matter at what point I walk into the room in one of these shows. It's a it's a conversation about which little girl and which little guy are going to get together and how do you win the girl or how do you win the guy or some bickering thing that's going. on. I mean, the whole it's all centered around these these thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year old relationships. And it's like, this is what matters the most. And, yeah. you know, and, and you're in your mind as you're watching that stuff as a, as a kid, you're going, so how does this relate to what's happening at school? Who's, who's jockeying for position? Who's the most, you know, which girl's got the nicest clothes so that the, most, the coolest kid is, all that is aimed at these connections that are happening between the boys and the girls. Wow. Mm. Yeah. It's just, 
pervasive. You can't get away from it. It's like you can't find a show that's about some kid pursuing building an airplane. Right. You know, because that's what he, he just loves it. And that, you know, those, I guess I, now that I've said that, there's probably eight movies like that, but it, <laughs> it, it just, email with a YouTube link. Yeah, to like a hundred different. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. I, we haven't seen those movies, so right. please send them my way. But it, it feels like that's not the thing that matters the most. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I feel like what these kids ought to be doing is what we talked about before. It's, it's like, what is it that I really like? You know, I, for, maybe it is sports. Maybe your 13 year old's a soccer player. And they can see themselves changing the world with soccer. And so they're outside working on soccer skills and they're worried about, you know, they're concerned about having a healthy diet so that they can perform better and taking care of the body that God's given them. All these really cool things that they could spend lots of energy on that would be so beneficial for the kingdom, for them personally, it leads to human flourishing, all these really cool things that they can get interested in and get all jazzed up about and not that stuff that is going to take them absolutely nowhere. And I believe at the end of the day leads to, uh, it contributes to all sorts of issues that where communities aren't flourishing, they're in chaos and they're, they're suffering from all sorts of ills that wasn't necessary. Mm, That's good. All right. We're going to run quickly to the end of our time. We're going to finish with some final thoughts, how quickly time flies when we have good discussions. And I feel like, again, there's a lot of meat left on the bone. So if you have questions, you can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com, and we'll be glad to hit them, and we may have to come back and hit this again because Keith has lots of notes, <laughs> and we have lots of notes on iPads, and so I don't think we're done, but we're going to run out of time. So Justin, mm-hmm. give us some final thoughts. I think this is a great way to end our three parts on dating, um, just talking about how it impacts so many other things. It's not just... Oh, hey, did did your boys, your daughters, my daughter, make it, my boy, make it to marriage without crossing that line? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just, a, well, they've got a broken heart and i got to counsel them through it. it. There are massive outworkings on whether this is done right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And it they're, they're lifelong and may not show themselves for 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. But the outworkings of this being bad... Are, are bad. That's helpful. That's good. Keith. Crush boredom. Like, crush it. Like, try to arrange a life for your children where they they don't ever feel bored. Like, don't allow them to feel boredom. Because one of the things that God placed in us certain cravings that are just never going to go away. You do not have to foster the craving to be loved and delighted in and Eventually, this craving to be sexually or physically, those things are going to happen. You don't have to do anything to nurture that. An animal does that, right? Right. But one thing you do have to nurture is this notion that we're going to take that energy and divert it into something for now that's super productive. And when you get bored and there's nothing to do, you're going to sort of lean back into those animal instincts, so to speak. Yeah. But if, if you've got a kid that, that is, is um, uh, used to finding entertaining things to do for themselves, they're going to they're gonna find themselves getting into things that are helpful for themselves. It's, it's, it's the, the part that God put into us that makes us creative beings. Mm-hmm. And we can take dominion over the earth because we've got these, this ability to build things and create things and dream about things. 
Try to set the environment so your kid never has to feel bored. And that, that's the summers. We all have what know what summers are like as kids. Your kids get bored. But I think to the degree that you can nurture in them a longing for something that they're just good at and they like, it helps them not – it gives them something to go toward when you're saying to them, when they come home and say, you know, I heard today that, that Susie's interested in me, and that makes me feel really good. And I want, I want to investigate that. You say, well, <laughs> you know, Bobby, you're seven, so it's not going to happen right now. Right. So, but instead of just saying, no, we, we, you're not going to do that. Right. You say, you know what, that's, that's cool. Get to know Susie. You know, y'all, y'all hang out some. You just get to know what she's all about. But the thing that you're really going to pour your heart into is this and this and this. Mm. So it's just sort of, it's not a don't do that so much as it is lean into this. Mm. That's good. I think for me, my last, uh, my last word on this is um, the implications of getting this right. I love, Keith, uh, that, that you see this and saw this and introduced this for us as a social justice issue because downstream of this, implications are massive. And it, as a parent, there's a positive pressure on me to make sure stay the course, don't let up. Because getting this wrong, again, it's not a death sentence, but boy, it's going to be harder mm. And, and, and why do we want things to be harder? So, so I think for people listening, um, recognize it matters what we think, how we think, and how we make application of this to our kids. And so when you have questions and if you get downstream and want to find out some more, hit us up with an email and we are more than happy to address it. Again, we let, left a lot of meat on the bones and would love to circle back and visit this with you at some point. So please send us an email. We'll be glad to answer it. Don't forget your favorite platform, whether it be Spotify, Anchor, Apple, whatever you happen to use. Listen to Theology in the Dirt. Share it with your friends. Give us a five-star rating. Hit us up with questions at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening. Have a great day. See you next time. Out. <laughs>